Lots of meh today. <laughs> I just got my second vaccine shot, so I'm tired. I'm just waiting for you to start feeling shitty. That sounds horrible when I say it out loud. I know a lot of people have had that. For yeah. me, I walked out like my first one wasn't like just that. It. Well, it's not the first one. It's the second one that gets you. Yeah, I know. But I still, even some people reacted to the first shot and I didn't. Oh, I guess we'll see. Yeah. I'm just tired and I have a little bit of body aches, but I don't have the other like stuff people were reporting my brain is broken because i just came back from a week's worth of training yeah, yeah. a lot of information thrown at me <laughs> my, good information my brain is broken too it was a yeah. rough week it yeah. was a really just work-wise lots of stuff going on i felt weird because i wasn't at work like it was at a different facility and i'm like i'm like texting and i'm like should i do this should i do this like i'm logging i had my computer with me and i'm like logging on i'm like what's happening is everything okay <laughs> Yeah. Like, I felt weird not working. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, you're like that, though. You can't just be sitting still. You don't... Mm-hmm. So, Kat doesn't know how to just sit still. No, no. I do know how to sit still by myself, but, like... Yeah! I, I mean, I can sit here and zombie the fuck out on my couch and not... You always text me, But though. not for a long time. So, like... So, Kat used to work... Told you that fan was going to make <laughs> lots of noise. Kat used to work, like, two jobs and a volunteer job on the weekend. Yeah. I used to work seven days. I worked seven days a week for like three years. Yeah. And on those (laughs) random days that you would have off, you would always be like, I don't know what to do with myself. And I'd be like, you need to just rest. Well, yeah. When the pandemic started, I was like, what do I do here? I have a weekend and I don't, like, I have two days that I don't have anything planned. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. That's your anxiety telling you you have to do stuff. Yeah. You don't. It's okay. (laughs) You can do nothing. Started reading. So that's fine. No, I haven't actually, like, sat down and. Britain, wrote Britain. Yeah, mm-hmm. since I moved in, <laughs> I'm still putting your stuff yeah, together. Slowly. I'm anyway, <laughs> like, welcome to therapy treehouse. Therapy treehouse. <laughs> Difficult damsels. I am Rachel. <laughs> I'm Kat. I didn't change it up on you this you time. You didn't. I honestly thought you were saying I'm Kat. <laughs> I am Kat today. The fuck you're not. <laughs> so, um, I mean, Anya, are you gonna say hi? No. Anya told me I could not pet her today. You're silent. Cats are very interesting. I always, I always pay attention when people tell me they don't like cats (laughs) because cats are very loving, but very loving on their own terms. On their own terms. So my cats in my life. (laughs) If they don't want you to touch them, they'll tell you. They'll tell you. Oh yeah. And usually when people this one will tell you loudly. Cats don't like me. I'm like, is it because you don't leave them? Like, cats are all about consent so she didn't want me to pet her and I was like right, okay <laughs> yeah meanwhile she screams at me to not pet her I'm like oh, I'm sure she'll come over later and then be like you can pet me now I'm like okay <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah, like, you'd be surprised when I was cat sitting that one day she actually came up to me and sat with me on the couch oh, you did for like 10 minutes and then she was done <laughs> oh no Emma and Anya are staring each other down. They're both the same age, so they like get along, but like get along as well as teenagers. I've never seen them get along. Well, I have. It's cute. 
not like get along like they're not sleeping on the same you know cushion but that's my you gonna drink that's my whiskey, whiskey. <laughs> that's my water no she's like that. why are there all these things on the table so our third co-host is here she's just being quiet for once hi that's my computer you know tack it <laughs> oh, so i'm really excited for this episode i'm excited for this episode so this um the person we are covering today is honestly the whole reason I wanted to do this podcast. Do you remember when we were at Fatso's Pizza? Yeah. And I started telling you the story about her. Yep. And that's when we were like... <laughs> that was kind of when we were like, let's fucking do this. <laughs> yeah. It was just, it was a good story. And we kept bouncing off of each other like we do. Yeah. And I was like, we would make a good team. We do. We do make a good team. Yeah. So, I mean, without further ado, episode 11 is Agrippina the Younger. Oh, God, you are such a jerk sometimes. (laughs) She's called Agrippina the Younger. I would just like to mention that all of the people I have picked so far that I'm researching only have the one. They don't have any, like, the whatever or... (laughs) So why do you think she's called Agrippina the Younger? Because she has a mom named Agrippina. Yes! Of course. (laughs) <laughs> that's the con- so she is um so the the thing about Agrippina is she's related in some way or another to the first five emperors of Rome. Yes. She was the great granddaughter of Augustus, who was the first Roman emperor, who is responsible for the whole Cleopatra committing suicide thing. Um, yeah, that's Octavian. Do you ever see? This is a random tangent, but I saw it the other day and thought of you. Audrey Plaza does Drunk History, Cleopatra. What? Yeah. Okay, Damn it, I knew I should have sent it to you, but I figured you'd already seen it. And I was like, okay, we, are, we are pausing this at one point <laughs> just to watch that because I have to see that. Audrey um, Plaza. Yeah. She doesn't, she's the one that's acting it out, so she is Cleopatra. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Okay. We'll, we'll like pause at some point and pull it up. <laughs> but yeah, so Agrippina was the great granddaughter of Augustus. The grand niece of Tiberius, who was the second. Do I need this yeah. weird family? What is it, a family tree? It's or? kind of a family tree slash supplemental. So it's the first five emperors, how Agrippinas are really related to them, and then little random facts about You're them. such a Virgo. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, God. And I'm an Aries. I already ripped it. <laughs> Um, well, I just know you're, you're, we're going to be saying all these names, so I figure it might be nice to have it in front of you. Who writes in the margins of the thing that rips off? Me. <laughs> Fucking Virgo. <laughs> um, so Agrippina was Caligula's sister. He was the third emperor. She was married to Claudius, the fourth emperor, and she is the mother of Nero, the oh. fifth emperor. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> So that's kind of what we're in for, but uh, just a general overview of Agrippina. Over a millennia before the femme fatale was immortalized in 1940s films, Agrippina the Younger and her dainty sandaled feet walk the roads of the Roman Empire as a sister to one emperor, wife to another, and finally mother to perhaps the most notorious Roman emperor of all time. History remembers her as beautiful and ruthless, dangerous and cunning, with an ambition that knew no bounds. But as we have already begun to learn, any woman that dared to step outside the narrow spaces that had been constructed to box women in their place are often vilified by the male historians of the time, and Rome was no different. Agrippina refused to let the limitations of her gender keep her out of the structures of power 
that her male counterparts were enjoying and would go on to become one of the most powerful women of the Roman Empire, if not the most powerful woman of Rome, period. Yes, that was beautiful, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I love I love that they, they, um, they being the patriarchy, exert so much energy and thought into how can we keep these bitches out of our little, like, fucking fan club. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. you know that we are going to beat you in everything and be better at you than everything, and then everyone's going to kick you out. <laughs> I'm going to give you some context for that with Rome, because right. it's very, very specific as to why it is that we, basically, women in Rome are only remembered for A, being very, very, very good women, yeah, or very, very, very bad women. And the parameters of what defines that are very specific. We'd obviously be in like a very certain category. Yeah, we'd be in the latter. <laughs> for sure. They'd be like, someone take these girls out. <laughs> At least separate. <laughs> we can't have two powerful women existing at the same time powerful women who, vocal, who are very vocal about what they think <laughs> yeah all right so time for some historical context so in 14 ce yes it's the year 14 what ce it's like ad but it's the new updated version how the fuck is it updated because not everything is before and after christ like we can't verify that information what does ce mean i don't know i don't want to look it up right now <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> so in the year 14, how about that? No, no, no. Keep it. <laughs> 14 CE, Augustus Caesar, the first emperor of Rome, dies. Dun, this is dun, dun. one year before Agrippina is born. Okay. In 28 CE, Buddhism officially reaches China. In 29 CE, according to the Bible, this is the year that Jesus began his ministry. According to the Bible, so it's not true. I mean, <clears throat> Roman historians do mention a Nazarene prophet. Oh, no. I know just, there's like it's very, bits and pieces that say like Jesus was real, but like I just, I, just have to, I have to bash on the Bible. I have to. Rome just didn't care about it, so yeah. there's not much written. Did I? I think I did write Tiberius is the emperor that was in... No, I didn't. He was the emperor um, of Rome when Jesus was allegedly crucified. Okay. So just to give you some context, it's kind of interesting to know that like these events are running parallel to the, um, the beginnings of Christianity. But, it, but in Rome, Christianity isn't really distinguished from Judaism. Yeah. That comes a little later. <clears throat> so in 33 CE, according to the Bible, this is the year that Jesus was crucified. From 40 to 43 CE, the Trung sisters ignite a series of revolts in Vietnam. Excuse me, the who sisters? The Trung sisters. Are we doing that? I have added Not them to my it, list. But you know what I mean. I mean, we can do that. And they're only like 2,000 years old. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> yeah, so I'd never heard of them, and they are on my list now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's exactly. How'd you come? How'd you come across them? So whenever I do the historical context, I just pull up whenever the century is in Wikipedia and I go through and I just pick out whatever looks interesting or whatever I'm familiar with. And I saw that. Okay. And then I looked into them a little bit and I was like, yep, we're doing them. Hi. <laughs> so I might actually, we might do them soon because I kind of want to stay in this time period at yeah. least for a couple episodes. Yeah. And then random first 
actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. 43 CE, (laughs) the Roman conquest of England begins. And this is the year that the city of London was supposedly founded. Um, Sources do suggest it may have been. Yeah. I'm playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla and I I just unlocked London. So I'm like, and I saw Alfred the Great and I was like, yes! Uh, I literally almost started rewatching The Last Kingdom yesterday. Let's do it. I'll fucking die. Calm down. uh, I love The Last Kingdom. It's so good. If you have not watched The Last Kingdom, you may not listen. Please still listen, but like, please go watch that show. It's amazing. We are at some point going to do The Lady of Mercia. Yes! Athelflaed. 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 Thank you. <laughs> yes. So when we do, I'm going to be like, everyone just go watch the last game. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Um, and then random first century fact, the codex is officially established, which was the first form of a modern book. And it officially replaces the scroll by the end of the first century. Imagine like books didn't exist in one point. That's time. crazy. Like, yeah. Thank God. It didn't Everything was just like, Oh, here's all of this. So think of like, yeah, here's daddy. all this like scrolled up yeah. information. Here's like a little. You read, tunnel. you read everything from history, daddy, and it's all these like scrolls that you have to unravel. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have more of them, and I think I'm gonna call them our crazy history uncles. All right, that sounds fun. <laughs> like the scrolls. No, the so the sources. Uh, I mean, I may as well get into it. It's next in my notes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the three main Roman sources we hear about Agrippina from were Tacitus, Suetonius, and Cassius Dio. I'm going to mention them a lot. The names are getting aggressive. <laughs> I think they're great. I had to practice No, they're them. great, but <laughs> I'm glad you're saying them. <laughs> so none of these writers lived during Agrippina's time, and all are generally regarded skeptically, and their work taken with a grain of salt in large part because they often presented rumors and stories as blatant facts when it came to the Julio-Claudian dynasty. Are you telling me that if you told me something randomly, it's not a fact? No. Are you sure? Unless you're in Rome, and then it's a fact. Oh, okay. So, like, like, Caligula, like, gonna name his horse a consul? Like, you know, you and I would joke about that, and then Suetonius comes along and is like, no, he actually did that. I think that would be the best decision he ever made. (laughs) (laughs) There is a reason for it. We'll get to it. Have it in my notes. I'm gonna name the horse my counsel too. This is gonna be a fun episode. The horse just, would probably have better counsel anyway. That's exactly what he said. He yeah. was he hated the Senate so much. He was like, My horse is more intelligent than a lot of you. I may as well name him the consul. Only a bright human. Oh, don't All say that about animals, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. In this one instance, I agree. Uh, <laughs> So Tacitus and Suetonius specifically wrote of this dynasty as being responsible for the moral decline of the Roman Empire. The other thing we need to keep in mind is this. The role of femininity is complicated in Roman society. Women were expected to be gentle-hearted and domestic, a so-called virtue that dates all the way back to Rome's origin story. How about fight me? So I'm going to do a little brief Summary of the origin of Rome. When you say brief, I never believe it. I mean, it's like a page. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so in that story, Rome's two founders, Romulus and Remus, were the sons of a princess that had been raped by Mars, the god of war. Despite being a vestal virgin, her punishment for this rape was that her sons were condemned to death. How the f- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Are you upset that... A woman's virtue is completely out of her own hands and she gets punished. I'm for being upset raped. that a woman is punished for being fucking raped. 
I mean, I, I wish I could say, like, things were better today. No, they're not. Not at all. Yeah. No, Rome was even worse about it. Long story short, a she-wolf finds them on the bank of a river and raises them as her own. When they grow up, they learn of their paternity, help solve a different kingdom succession dispute, and then go off to found Rome. The problem was that they heartily disagreed over where Rome should be built, and so Romulus ends up killing Remus. They were basically like, I want Rome on that hill, and the other one was like, I want it on that hill, and they couldn't agree, so one killed the other. Does that sound like Cain and Abel to you a little bit? Yeah. Sounds and then the ridiculous. Best Virgin it sounds like a male problem to me, but. <laughs> so the place Rome sits today is supposedly the place that Romulus chose. After some time, Romulus notices that his city is populated entirely by men, which is a problem for obvious reasons, because you need women to you know, help populate the earth. <laughs> so guess what they do just end that sentence that you need women period guess what they do Ew. am I gonna like it no great I don't wanna guess so this is when the <laughs> men of Rome set off to kidnap the women from a neighboring tribe known as the Sabines yes they absconded with all the women even the married women ew surprisingly enough you could have like opened it up and be like women come I'm sure someone would have come but they're no. men. <laughs> men just men don't things. think. I know they don't do big picture thinking. So the women develop a sort of Stockholm-like syndrome for their Roman captors. Yeah. When their fathers and brothers come to fight their new husbands, the Sabine women throw themselves in between the two fighting factions because they are just so soft-hearted and can't bear to see bloodshed between the two factions. Bitch, I bet they threw themselves in front of these cocksuckers because they're like, "Don't kill the people you stole us from, please." <laughs> we are already suffering enough at your hands. Please don't kill the people we actually love. <laughs> so the whole point is that this becomes the trope for the ideal Roman woman. It's yeah. literally ingrained in their origin story. Jasmine disagrees wholeheartedly. I know. I Babushka, I'm right there with you. Yes. So the ideal Roman woman is kind, obedient, and selfless. She is a mediator, a conduit of peace that is used to ease the tension between warring families often in the form of a marriage. Women are not violent. They do not seek vengeance. Vengeance and war are men's business. A woman's business is in the home and off the pages of history books. So I what think, you're saying is I'm not a woman at all. No, you are a woman. You just wouldn't be written about because you're not important. That's not make myself important. <laughs> well, that's what Agrippina did. Agrippina yeah, was like, I, I will have none of this. I will have none of this bullshit. <laughs> And for this reason, the ancient Roman historians despised her. Of course. Agrippina represented everything that was morally wrong with the empire, chief in part because she was a woman that operated outside the domestic and ornamental role that was typically reserved for prominent Roman women. Let's all just focus on the fact that an empire that started with absconding with women that were not theirs has decided that something is morally wrong. I'm sorry, what's wrong with that? So much we don't have time to go into. <laughs> <laughs> the history they tell is scandalous and salacious. It's chock full of sex, incest, intrigue, and murder, and it would put any modern day soap opera or telenovela to complete and utter shame. Agrippina's story is no less juicy. Roman historians are grossly misogynistic. The truth evident in the fact that no singular woman is ever described as having accomplished anything outside of how it directly benefited 
or derailed the men of the time. The fact that we get as much as we do about Agrippina is in large part because these ancient historians regarded her so poorly because of how meddlesome she was in politics. How dare you? <laughs> A domain that had strictly excluded women in Rome before and after this point in time. Keeping all of that in mind, make sure to wear your skeptic's hat and keep a dash of salt ready at hand for the story I'm about to tell you. <laughs> Fucking men. <laughs> Can't. Hashtag not all men. Oh, all no, fuck them. off. All of them. All of them in some way, whether it's really small or like blatantly obvious. <sighs> all men are stupid. It never gets better. Uh, (laughs) Agrippina was born as Julia Agrippina Minor on November 6 in 15 CE at a Roman outpost on the Rhine River that is located in present-day Germany. She was named after her mother, known to history as Agrippina the Elder. And for the first part of this episode, I will refer to them as such. So, to distinguish it. Why is she known as Agrippina and not Julia? I like that. I think, so from what I understand, um, when it comes to Roman naming conventions, they often take on the name of their parents. And if their parents end up becoming really famous, like Roman families are an extension of you. So you'll often take their name. Yeah. I mean, if I'm wrong, email me. I'd love to hear about it. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to hear about it from Rachel's mouth. That sounds Okay. Oh, that's for later. (laughs) (laughs) So Agrippina descends from two very powerful Roman family lines, the first being the Julio line on her mother's side, which could trace its way all the way back through Julius Caesar and ultimately to the goddess Venus. On her father's side, she descended from the Claudian line. And although the Claudians could not claim to descend from the gods, they were still ancient and well-established. Together, the lines were joined by her parents to form the Julio-Claudian dynasty. All you need to know is that in Rome, your family name was everything. Your family name was an extension of yourself. So basically, Agrippina's family is kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. (laughs) From her mother, Agrippina descends directly from the first Roman emperor, Augustus, as his great-granddaughter. From her father, she was descended from Tiberius, the second emperor of Rome, who was her great-uncle. He also ends up becoming her adoptive grandfather due to the fact that Emperor Augustus had forced Tiberius to adopt her father as his heir. All right. So um, Rome's complicated. Your heir is not guaranteed to be your son. That's cheating, but all right. (laughs) Well, so that's the interesting thing about Rome. The first emperors aren't, it doesn't go down father to son. And then by the time it does, Mm. if you've seen the movie Gladiator, that's the first time. Um, a Roman emperor names his son and he takes over and then everything goes Go to shit. shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. I love that movie. Sorry. So Agrippina's father was named Germanicus and he was a very prominent general of the Roman Empire and popular amongst the people of Rome. So that's another thing. People will get renamed if they like conquer an area. So Germanicus was stationed out in Germany made his name out in Germany and then comes back and is like, I am I'm Germanicus. Now Germanic. <laughs> yeah. Weren't you Tom? <laughs> By the time she is born, Germanicus has already started to make a name for himself while overseeing the Roman legions over in Germany. I don't know what's great. You said Germanicus. I was like, that sounds made up. It is. 
There's also a Britannicus we're going to get oh, to Oh, yeah, that's great. For once, my mind is on the same track. So what you need to know about Germanicus is that he is basically known as Rome's favorite beloved prince. And if we are looking for a modern-day equivalent, it would probably be Prince Henry of England. Mm. Everyone loved him. He wasn't the... I was going to say, I thought everyone hated him now. No, everyone loves Henry because he's speaking out against the royal family. I mean, I like him because he's awesome. (laughs) If the Roman commons had their way... Germanicus would have been the preferred choice of candidate for emperor. This becomes problematic because his popularity grew to overshadow the grossly unpopular emperor Tiberius. Again, How dare you overshadow the man in charge? This is Germanicus's adoptive godfather. And just to give you an idea of how beloved Germanicus was, Roman historians practically salivated over him and described him to be the Roman equivalent of Alexander the Great. I didn't record this, but I was reading some of Tacitus's writing, and if you've ever seen Mean Girls, when everyone describes Regina George, oh no, that's how they describe Germanicus. Oh no, if, Germanicus is Regina George. If Germanicus punched you in the face, you would think it was awesome too. What? <laughs> it was just so funny. Like they oh, love him. <laughs> so it's like history, daddy's relationship with with. Armesia. Armesia. Yes. All of our crazy history uncles loved Germanicus. Oh my gosh. Because this is Rome, a place where enlarged male egos are incapable of coexisting together. You can say inflated, it's fine. <laughs> Germanicus was essentially assassinated. Rumors from the time vary, suggesting it was the governor of Syria that poisoned him, but the prevailing theory that gets passed down from Roman historians was that Tiberius himself had Germanicus assassinated. Now, the circumstances surrounding Germanicus's death are complicated and long. Um, I'm going to try to summarize it. Tiberius was an Two easy... Two pages? <laughs> one paragraph. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Tiberius was an easy scapegoat of the time. He was not the least bit averse to murdering his political enemies. This is a theme we're going to see in <laughs> this episode and the next. <laughs> the theme of any powerful family, it seems. Germanicus himself believed that he had been poisoned by his rival, the governor of Syria, Gnaeus Calpurnius Piso. According to the stories, Germanicus even found evidence of a curse placed on him. Um, so basically they found random body parts and spells and tablets hidden in the walls of his home with his body name on it. parts of what? Animals or people? People. That's... You use that to create a curse, apparently. Uncomfortable. Like, I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable, too. You just, like, oh. And so was Germanicus, because it was his name on the tablet. Oh, my God. It's all very macabre. Scary. Um, but that's a different story, so, you know, go look it up or something. What would you do if you, like, went into your... First off, why are you going to your wall? But you went in your wall, and you're just like, that's a You want to know what he did? has the name on it. He wrote, a, he wrote a letter to the governor of Syria and was like, I renounce our friendship. Because I know you're trying to kill me. Fuck you. <laughs> and then he died. Fuck your shit. <laughs> the big I thing. renounce our friendship. How about <laughs> don't do this? <laughs> the big takeaway here is that the most is that most people believe Tiberius had Germanicus assassinated to get his popular political rival out of the way. And that included Agrippina's family. Oh, so they believed he did it? Yes. Gotcha. So when Agrippina the Elder, again, this is our Agrippina's mother, 
When she brought her husband's ashes back to Rome, it resulted in an absurdly lavish funeral procession that Emma Suthin, she's she wrote the book Agrippina, that's my main source for this episode. She compares it to the likes of Princess Diana's funeral procession. Oh, wow. Yes. So basically, you have the entirety of Rome mourning their dead beloved prince. Women literally threw themselves in the street, overcome with grief. Did they, though? I mean, that's what our crazy history uncles say. You know, it was the men who did that because they were like, my homeboy, my bro. Men don't cry. What? <laughs> men don't feel things. You're not allowed to. <laughs> men, you should cry. Yeah, just get it definitely out. Definitely cry. But, like, don't cry a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I cry in the shower. That's my preferred place. <laughs> Do we need to have the therapy treatments after this? No, I cry and I get it out and then I feel better. I don't let my emotions like. I like me. angry cry. Like, do you? I can yeah. see that. You're an Aries. Yeah, I angry cry. You're like, oh, I'm so mad and sad. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh. I'm so mad and sad. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> Agrippina the Elder was Rome's beloved daughter, the last living blood relation to Augustus, and her husband had been murdered by Rome's current jealous emperor. She made sure that everyone knew it, taking up the mantle of righteous indignation against Tiberius. This is like the mean girls of Rome. Oh, it gets <laughs> worse. <laughs> All that being said, they were still technically family. So while they very visibly loathed one another, due in large part to the fact that Agrippina the Elder had no intention of being sidelined just because her husband was dead, they still had to work with one another. And over time, it became clear that Tiberius was considering... Agrippina the Elder's two older sons, Nero, no, not that No, Nero, not that one. <laughs> and Drusus III to be his potential heirs, which would effectively disinherit his own natural-born son named Drusus II. <laughs> you only have five names to choose from. H. <laughs> he didn't have to do that in the end. Drusus II dies mysteriously, unrelated to anything Agrippina the Elder did, but that is also another story. It involves mysteriously. More... He probably died of the same poison Germanicus died from. <laughs> it involves more murderous political maneuvering, and I can't stop to talk about every little murder that occurs <laughs> in this time period because we'll this be here forever. <laughs> All you need to know is that Tiberius began to groom Agrippina the Elder's two sons to succeed him, and Agrippina the Elder made sure that she was there every step of the way. And while her mother was bulldozing her way through Roman politics, carefully crafting the public image of her brothers to try and maneuver them down the path that led to the imperial throne, Agrippina the Younger is watching. She also She's goes. She's got a great role model to start with. Yes, I this is it. this is very much like how Margaret of Anjou had fuck I can't remember her name the Countess of Anjou who was Charles VII's mother-in-law remember the Joan of Arc episode yeah, the yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. very similar to that like okay. she had a strong female influence in her life that was like I don't care what Roman convention says yeah. I am the daughter of Augustus and I will be included fuck yeah she also got to witness an even bigger rivalry brew between her mother and Lucius Aleus Sejanus, who was a Praetorian prefect and the leader of the Praetorian Guard with delusions of grandeur. Uh, are you familiar with the Praetorian Guard? Because I know your brother is huge into no. Roman stuff. So the Praetorian Guard was an elite unit of the Imperial Roman Army, and it basically served as the personal bodyguards to the emperor. 
So they are the yeah. highest echelon in the Roman legions. Okay. Yeah. Sejanus wanted to be Tiberius' successor. And as our Agrippina was growing up, she got to watch her mother and Sejanus' rivalry blossom and boil. Agrippina the Elder and her children were Sejanus's biggest obstacles. And so he spent the better part of a decade whispering a number of lies in Tiberius's ear to help fan the flames of distrust between him and Agrippina the Elder. Mind you, Tiberius doesn't need much help with this. He already mistrusts her, and the opportunist in Sejanus took advantage of that. Yeah, he's like, I killed, I killed, I killed, I killed. <laughs> I killed Rome's <laughs> beloved prince, and they'll never let me live it down. <laughs> and for a while, it almost seemed to work. Tiberius grew so sick of the political backstabbing of Roman politics that he actually retreated to the island of Capri and basically told Sejanus, I'm sick of ruling, you do it. Oh, God. And he'll stay, Tiberius will stay on the island of Capri throughout the duration of his emperorship. (laughs) (laughs) And so Sejanus did, and he basically had free reign to harass Agrippina the Elder. Just as he had served as the conniving snake that whispered in the ear of Tiberius, he did the same exact thing to Agrippina the Elder's eldest sons, except this time he tried to pit Nero and Drusus III against one another, claiming that each was their mother's favorite son and that she was plotting to kill the other. I'm sorry, but if you believe some bitch over your mother, like... I mean, there were instances of mothers who did pick sons over other sons, so I'm sure there was a precedent for it. Yeah, but if you look, I mean, again, if you're using your brain in any way, um, if you look at this bitch and he's been whispering shit about your family. (laughs) In the end, Sejanus gets a little too big for his britches. He ends up getting named in a conspiracy against Tiberius, which brings the emperor back from his self-imposed exile just long enough to go on a murderous rampage. For Darian to fly too close to the sun, Sejanus and his family were executed. Sejanus's death was especially brutal. He was removed from prison, strangled, and then thrown down the Gemonian stairs, colloquially known as the Stairs of Mourning, where the crowd tore him limb from limb. Jesus. Rome is, does not mess around. <laughs> Unfortunately, Tiberius wasn't done. He was fed up with everyone scheming to usurp his power, and so he turned his attentions to Agrippina the Elder and her son Nero. You gave your power to this one guy! Yeah, but he's the emperor. He can do what he wants. I smear. And nobody liked him. Everyone I don't liked, like him. Everyone hated I know. I literally wrote that in the notes. Like, nobody liked Tiberius. <laughs> you guys, she actually wrote, no one liked him. <laughs> At this point, Tiberius denounces Agrippina for depravity and accused her of having improper relations with her son, Nero. This will happen again. They're on. <laughs> they were then exiled to two separate islands. And their fates would end tragically. According to Suetonius, Agrippina the Elder endured years of beatings while exiled on the orders of Tiberius. And one of the beatings was so violent that she actually lost an eye at one point. Beatings from who? From the Praetorian guards that were there to watch over her. Yeah, it's pretty gross. And in the end, Agrippina the Elder starved herself to death. Um, the stories do kind of vary as to whether she did this on purpose or they starved her, but it's kind of assumed she was just trying to end her misery at this yeah. point. Because you know it probably didn't end in just meetings. No. Because men are 
Nero was told that he could kill himself with a sword or be killed by one. He chose suicide. And Drusus III was, would remain in prison for four years before he finally died of starvation himself. Ugh. Yeah, that's fun. So at this point, our Agrippina is officially an orphan. In addition to her parents being murdered. She's not just an orphan. She's familyless. Like, she has no family left. She has some family. Oh, but like, close. (laughs) So her uncle, her aunt, her grandmother, and a couple of her cousins have all been murdered. Of the six children born to Agrippina the Elder and Germanicus, four now remain to serve as their legacy. At the age of 16... Agrippina the Younger is the second oldest of the siblings that remain amongst the living. The oldest of the siblings is now Gaius Julius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, a.k.a. Caligula. What? Wait, you just threw out all those names and his name is none of those? So the interesting thing about Caligula, and I was debating how I would talk about him, he was known as Gaius at the time. Hmm. Caligula was given to him posthumously by the crazy history uncles um, because of the sandals. So a Caligula is a type of sandal you wear. They didn't like him, so they... They named him after a sandal. That's <laughs> so, cute. So it was like his nickname as a child, and then because they hated him so much, they assigned the name Caligula to him after he died. Hilarious. <laughs> it's... Yeah. Kind of sad, but it also. I don't know. Should I call him Gaius or Caligula? Well, I mean, if everyone knows him as Caligula, probably. So when I'm like listening to other podcasts, everyone's like, we will call him Gaius to be respectful. But the reality is, people know him as Caligula. So that's. Call him Gaius Caligula. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I, so I call him Gaius, soon to be Caligula, in my notes. That works. Okay. <laughs> By the time her mother had been killed, Agrippina was already three years married. Yes, this means she had been married at the age of 13. Nope. Her husband was a man 20 years her senior. Oh, my God. Named Gnaeus Domitius Anobarbus. He is a pedophile. We'll call him Domitius. He might have been. (laughs) So, (laughs) on paper... Domitius had been a very good match. He, too, was of a blood relation to Augustus through Augustus's sister, Octavia. Wait. So okay. Augustus was, like, a great-granduncle. Yeah, okay. Something like that. But why? <laughs> and he was of another ancient Roman family of similar stock to the Claudians, known as the Domitian family. He was also a consul, which was the highest ranked elected official that a Roman citizen could reach. He's 20 years older than your kid. And he was disgustingly wealthy. Yes, I, yeah, not great. <laughs> In actuality, all sources agree that Domitius was a terrible human being. Yeah. Our friend Suetonius described Domitius as a man who was in every aspect of his life detestable. There are several stories out there about how awful he is, so I will limit us now to just a couple. Um, so we can get... I picked a handful from the fucking trough of fucking awful There was stories. a whole page worth of That's stories. He's a terrible human. Great. So Domitius apparently ripped out the eye of an equestrian, which would have been the equivalent of a knight, kind of, as far as class goes. Yeah. Who he claimed had been rude to him. Oh, fuck off. He was also a shameless philanderer and rapist. Ew. 
and he apparently rode down a child that had been playing in the street just for the hell of it. Sounds right. Yeah. Great. So, um, yeah, that's who she was married to. Now, she only ever appears on page in the recorded histories for her marriage, which involved a lavish procession turned street party that started at her house and ended with her new husband lifting her over the threshold of her new home. And that's where that tradition starts from. It's from Rome. Yeah. So apparently it was... I'm going to lift my child bride. Apparently. It was really bad luck if you messed it up. Like if you dropped your wife before she crossed the threshold. He shouldn't have problem dropping his wife. She's like 80 pounds. She's a fucking child. Anyway. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, it's okay. I'm right there with you. There's just, there's so little about this actual marriage because, again, she's not doing anything in with happy. Or just in, in the political sphere. So it's all the domestic sphere, and the Romans just didn't write about it. So I mean, we don't, we don't really know what the marriage was like, but it probably fair. wasn't great. No, she's yeah. probably like the grandpa. Part of the reason for this may have been the fact that Agrippina learned the lesson that her mother did not. Agrippina Elder had been had made many open enemies by blatantly making power plays and obstinately pushing her way into places she was not wanted. Our Agrippina was not about to make the same mistake. So she patiently bided her time. Again, it helps when you're like 13. Yeah, she's like, let me go up a little bit. Taking care not to attract the attention and the ire of Tiberius, as so many others would go on to do. But everything changes for Agrippina when Emperor Tiberius finally dies at the age of 77. I feel like we should cheer that, though, like, honestly. Yes. Woo! Woo! But now it's about to be Caligula. (laughs) Doesn't get better. On March 16, 37 CE, Agrippina's brother, Gaius Julius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, ascends to the throne. Literally all have the same five names. Yes. Stupid! Because... So it's like, oh, we're related to Julius Caesar, so we're going to... So we're going to throw that in there. And we're related to Augustus, so I'm going to throw that in there. And I'm also the grandson of Germanicus, so I'm going to throw that in there. I'm also, my name's Guy. All of these assholes, <laughs> let me throw it in there. <laughs> so at the age of 22, also, my <laughs> Agrippina becomes the sister to the emperor. And in the same year, she will give birth to her first and only child, Lucius Domitius... Anobarbus, a.k.a. Nero. Yes, that Nero. Yeah, that one, that's the Nero we think. <laughs> now, Gaius, soon to be Caligula, <laughs> is a very interesting figure. I would imagine that of the five men from ancient Rome that people are generally able to name, Caligula is one of them. Most people know him as this sort of mad king figure, one that revels in depravity, sadism, and sexual perversion. Chief amongst the accusations that have been made against Caligula were that he was involved in incestuous relationships with all three of his younger sisters, including Agrippina, as well as having an entirely inappropriate relationship with his horse. No. Oh, no. (laughs) The men's magazine Penthouse even produced a full-length film about Caligula called Caligula, that features unsimulated sex scenes and extreme violence on film that are supposed to represent the notoriety of his reign. A, ma- a majority of the more scandalous accusations come from Suetonius and Cassius Dio, 
who all lived decades after this time period, and as already mentioned, were writing specifically to debase the Julio-Claudian dynasty, for which Caligula was a part of. We'll do our best to sift through what we know to be fact and what we suspect is more fantastical tale. What's a simulated sex so it, they're all the actors actually were having sex on screen. Oh, fun. like so giant, porn. giant orgies. Yes, porn. It's porn. It, it's porn before porn was porn. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. It was like the seventies. It was like pre-porn. Yes, <laughs> but it's very like I remember they talked about it when I was in film school. Yeah, we never actually watched it, but they did mention this film because it was an Italian film. Oh, it's always an Italian film. Now, before we continue our story, we need to go back a couple of years again. When Agrippina the Elder and her two older sons were exiled and later murdered, Caligula, then known as Gaius, was still too young to be included in that conspiracy. But his lineage meant that he was still dangerous, so he was hidden away and kept from all the public ceremonies and offices a young Roman man in his formative years would have been expected to attend. I love how this male is too young to be involved in a conspiracy, but his fucking sister is not too young to be married off. He was like... Yeah, no, I guess he was like, I think he was like 10 when it all started to go Perfectly down. Perfectly fine marriageable age. Well, it was more he, his blood meant that he really should have been the next heir and Tiberius didn't want another Germanicus. So he literally hid, hid him away from public view. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. Otherwise he probably would have been married. So that all changed when he was 19. Remember when Tiberius decided to run off to Capri? <laughs> Well, at one point, he summoned Gaius, soon to be Caligula, to the island to stay with him. And there, Gaius, soon to be Caligula, would be stuck until Tiberius died eight years later. So he just, he, like, left him on the island? He, he kept him with him. Uh, he's like, and, don't, don't make waves. Just and I, I didn't really go into it, but, like, the absolute absurdity of Tiberius's reign happens when he's on the island. This is where you get stories of him... Uh, raping people and it didn't matter the age. Ew. We don't, we don't, again, we don't know. Yeah, it's not confirmed. If still. it's true, but this would have been the environment that Gaius also kind of grew up in. Yeah. Gaius. I really like that. It's a very name. interesting name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll keep calling him Gaius. Gaius. <laughs> Gaius slash Caligula. So mind you, this was the man that Gaius slash Caligula and Agrippina both fervently believed murdered their mother and father. He was a tyrant and a paranoid and jealous tyrant at that. It was undoubtedly uncomfortable and unpleasant. And on top of all of that, by keeping Gaius slash Caligula out of Rome, Tiberius made sure his new heir presumptive would be woefully ill-equipped to deal with the politics of the Senate when he eventually ascended to the throne. Why the fuck would you do that? Because Tiberius sucked. Yeah, like, I just, like, I understand, like... Tiberius hated the Senate. Like, you're... <sighs> he, he hated the Senate. And I, I would imagine he probably wanted Gaius to hate them, too. Yeah, why would you... <sighs> so, yeah, even in the best of circumstances, Gaius slash Caligula never had a chance. So, from here on out, and I'm just going to call him Gaius. We know it's Caligula. yeah, yeah. 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 When Gaius emerged from the island of Capri, Rome was ecstatic. This was the son of Germanicus, Rome's beloved murdered prince. And more importantly, he was not stupid old Tiberius. Thank the gods. Yeah, he was um, groomed by stupid old Tiberius to be stupid young Gaius slash Caligula. 
And so Rome did what it does best, and it partied in the streets for days and days and days. Agrippina was 21 when her brother became emperor. You and I would be so bad at that time frame, simply because like everyone's partying and we're in the fucking corner reading. Yeah. <laughs> our scrolls. Um, yeah, we're reading our scrolls. Just like, don't talk to me. Just don't talk to me. Send me some wine and grapes. Yeah, wine and grapes. And grapes. <laughs> Immediately following his ascension, Caligula bestowed a number of special honors and privileges to his sisters. Agrippina, along with her younger sisters, Drusilla and Lavilla, were given the rights of the Vestal Virgins, which officially granted them a public role in Roman society. This was the only position in society a woman could occupy that granted the privilege of being able to maneuver about society without a male guardian, conduct their own legal affairs, and even write their own wills. Mm -hmm. fucking audacity (laughs) and to touch or harm someone that had been granted the status of a vestal virgin guaranteed death agrippina along with her younger sisters were granted a level of autonomy that was nearly unheard of for a woman of the time caligula also changed the verbiage that was often used on the senate floor to include or to introduce a new law or motion so that every proposition had to conclude with favor and good fortune attend Gaius Caesar and his sisters. This meant that Agrippina and her sisters were now mentioned every single day on the Senate floor. (laughs) When Caligula had new coinage commissioned, the coins had his face on the front side and the images of Agrippina, Drusilla, and Lavilla on the back. Agrippina and her sisters are the first living women to ever be included on the face of a Roman coin. Oh yeah, she's got a picture. That's pretty rad. Yeah. (laughs) And finally, the new em- I'm on your coin. <laughs> and finally, the new emperor updated the new loyalty oath that citizens swore to include his sisters as well. I will not hold myself or my children dearer than I hold the emperor Gaius and his sisters. Excuse me, that's a little weird. <laughs> Took a turn. I mean, dark. the emperor's sisters are more important than your kids, obviously. Are they though? <laughs> They're Rome's beloved daughters. Yeah. So are your daughters. As already previously mentioned, this is right around the time that Agrippina has Nero. She's 22. Interestingly enough, Nero came from a breach birth. We know this because Agrippina actually wrote about it in her memoirs. Breach births were considered a bad omen for Romans. (laughs) I rhymed. Jesus. Uh, the people of the time thought it was a sign that he would end up being a miserable and terrible blight on the world. In this one instance, they were not wrong. Not wrong at all. But more on that later. Should I say, instead of saying Jesus, should I just like start like I'm shouting gonna. Julius? The next year, in 38 CE, is when things start to go south for Gaius slash Caligula. Slash Caligula. By this point, Gaius had been sick for a couple of months. Some people suspected poison. There's no way to know for certain, but we do know that he wasn't quite the same once he emerged from his sickness. It's at this point, Gaius started taking after Tiberius and starts executing a number of powerful figures around him, Uh all of whom were conspicuously around before his rise to power. So it could be that he thought he was poisoned. He's like, fuck all you, you're all going out. (laughs) It could be. A lot of people suspect that it, like, tweaked his mind, too. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I still like the idea that he's like he knew he was poison. Yeah. Didn't tell anyone that he knew he was poison, and he's just like. And he just didn't know. I know. Goodbye. And so became paranoid. 
It's also right around this time that the accusations of incest started. Caligula had been known to hang out in the company of his sisters a lot. His favorite was famously Drusilla, and so the accusations suggested that Caligula slept with all of his sisters, but offered Agrippina and Lavilla to his friends while keeping Drusilla to himself. He was also good friends with Drusilla's husband, Lepidus, and so you also get accusations of homosexuality from this period as well. I'm here for that. That sounds fun. I love that. You know those rumors probably started because people were pissed that he was holding his sisters up so high. That's what I think. Yeah. And some of it, so like these accusations are often speculated about um, in large part because we don't see any contemporary sources talk about it. And the first time we hear of it is from Suetonius. On top of that, it was a disturbing, disturbingly common occurrence to accuse a political enemy of incest. They were literally doing this all the time. Yeah. <laughs> this wasn't the first time that someone in Agrippina's sphere of influence would be accused of incest, nor will it be the last time that she herself is included in the rumors. Either everyone and their mother literally is having sex with one another in Rome, or more likely, the men of the period simply could not conceive of the idea that men and women could hang out in the same room together without sex being involved. How fucking weird. That's a big theme in Gladiator, too. It's too much of Gladiator. I mean, they never, it's, like, they always, like, suggested it, but it was never, like, that's the thing with happened. certain politicians today. They, like, yeah. they're like, I can't be in a room with someone other than my wife. Yeah. So it's just, it's this weird misogynistic thing that some men have. It's just like, oh, if, if you love your sister so much, it's obviously because you're having sex with them. I always got that when I was growing up because I was always the girl best friend. And yeah. You cannot just be a girl best friend. Yeah. There has to be something else going on. You're like, no, no, just friends. Yeah. <laughs> No, but obviously if you're behind closed doors, cat. Yeah, obviously I can't control myself because I'm a woman. And my womanly wiles, that's what we talked about that last can't time. control yourself. It's the men. I mean, but it's still your fault. It's still, yeah. But According to the Yeah, that sounds right. And then on June 10th, 38 CE, Caligula's favorite sister, Drusilla, dies, most likely of a fever. Oh, no. And Caligula was so devastated that he completely stopped functioning, demanding that the whole of Rome mourn her and then proceeded to deify her. Uh-oh. So everything goes downhill for Caligula from here, for Gaius, Gaius Caligula. Gaius slash Caligula. <laughs> he starts to openly accuse the Senate of having been complicit in the deaths of his mothers and brothers. He even openly sympathized with Tiberius and said that he sympathized with the fact that the old tyrannical emperor got all stabby-stabby with his political enemies because the Senate was full of conniving backstabbers. And okay, that's probably a fair That's specimen. fair. Yeah, that's pretty fair. He just He's not wrong, but he's also not right. He's not wrong, but these aren't the kind of things you say out loud. Yeah, no, no, no. You and say these like to yourself or like your closest friends. If Caligula so. had been introduced to Roman politics as a young person, he would have understood that. But because yeah. Tiberius was like, no, I'm not gonna properly Fuck treat you. you. Yeah. He just becomes this obstinate asshole. Unfortunately, Agrippina somehow got dragged into all of this. She goes from being one of Caligula's most celebrated sisters to suddenly disappearing completely off the pages of history, only to turn up magically exiled on a tiny island. Why did this happen? Well, it may have had to do with the fact that a new woman by the name of Melonia Cassonia 
Melonia Cassonia? Are you for real? <laughs> Cassonia, as we'll call her, would go on to become Caligula's fourth wife. Up to this point, Caligula had no children and thus no heirs. He had three wives before this? Yeah, but he changed wives as often as he changed socks. So. Caligula. <laughs> 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 Agrippina and her sisters had enjoyed unprecedented female power, and Agrippina herself was pretty much the most powerful woman in Rome. And now Caligula had a wife. Cassonia was his fourth wife, but this one he actually liked, and this one also proved to be fertile. This one he actually liked? How the fuck you? Marry one that you like before just marry... I mean, you can't. From what it sounds like, she was just as, like, maniacal and conniving as he was and openly hostile oh, no. towards the Senate. Oh no. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> Agrippina probably exiles herself to the island on her own of her own volition because she's like, this is not going to end well. I'm gonna go hang out on this island for a bit, call me when this is done. So up to this point, Nero had been next in the Julio Claudian line of succession. Cassonia was a new rival and a wait, new wait, children. wait, 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 the Nero? The Nero. Great, okay. So Agrippina's son, because again, her brother didn't have a, any children. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, my son's the heir then. Yeah. Okay. Um, but now, sure, but now Cassonia has proven she can give, she can have children. They have a daughter. Well, they have a daughter. So it doesn't mean anything in these times, Rachel. No, but it means she could get pregnant again. Daughters. <laughs> it doesn't count until it's. <laughs> Um, so Cassonia was her new rival, and they, any children she bore became potential threats to Agrippina and Nero. Not long after this point, Agrippina, along with her sister Lavilla, were accused of conspiring with their dead sister's widowed husband, Lapidus. Do you remember him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To I had, kill, it took me a minute to track that, but yeah, I remember. <laughs> to kill Caligula, and in addition to attempted regicide, they were also accused of having some sort of strange, incestuous, and weird menage a trois with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Believable. <laughs> so according to the conspiracy, which is cleverly named the plot of the three daggers, Ooh, I like. the intent was to put Lepidus on the throne once Caligula had been deposed. Lepidus was immediately executed. Agrippina and Lavilla were exiled to their own islands as the Romans were apparently wont to do. How many islands? <laughs> There's a lot of little islands out there. Yeah, but it's just ridiculous. They're like, you can have your own island. <laughs> Sounds great. Sign me up. (laughs) Now, whether or not there was actually any truth to this, no one knows for sure. There's no concrete evidence to suggest that Agrippina was actually plotting her brother's death, or she and her sister were just a victim of Caligula's slash Gaius's increasing paranoia. Almost all the sources agree on at least one thing, though, which was that she was apparently sleeping with her dead sister's widowed husband, Lepidus, at this point. It's not ancestral, so it's fine. No, it's just her brother-in-law, so it's still kind of weird. But isn't the sister dead? She is. And okay. also Agrippina's first husband is now dead, by the way. So, why is it a problem? Because <laughs> it, uh, it was Gaius's best friend. Remember? Yeah, but... Okay. And they were plotting, supposedly... Oh, yes, the three daggers. I forgot. <laughs> Jesus. Conspiracies everywhere. So, again, Demidius is now dead. Now, the thing is, if Agrippina was actively plotting against her brother, it would have been her first proactive act in the dicey realm of Roman politics. Whether or not it was because she sensed a growing threat in Caligula slash Gaius's instability, 
where she perceived his wife, Cassonia, as a real threat to her future and her son's future is anyone's best guess. We don't know for sure. We do know that Agrippina was forced to carry Lepidus's ashes with her when she was exiled, a symbolic act that directly mirrored the same exact walk her mother performed when Germanicus died and she returned to Rome with Germanicus's ashes. Okay. I was like, why is it a bad thing? <laughs> it's not. It's just if there's any part of this weird convoluted story we might actually believe to be true, it was that she was probably sleeping with him. Yeah. And may have fallen in love with him. Now, Agrippina was briefly called back to Rome, where she was to stand trial before the Senate for attempted regicide and adultery. Try to just imagine the scene this must have caused. Not long ago, Agrippina and her sister Lavilla were the beloved sisters of the emperor. He had revered them, raising them to a level that no other woman outside of marriage had previously enjoyed. And apparently, they plotted against him. Caligula even produced love letters supposedly written by Agrippina to Lepidus, and he read them out loud before the Senate to publicly slut-shame his sister in order to rouse the Senate's reprisal, you and guys, it worked. This is why you don't write love letters to people you're not supposed to be in love with. <laughs> Agrippina was permanently, permanently exiled to the island of Pontia. She is 24 at this point. While exiled... She's only 24! She is only 24. <laughs> It always throws me when you're like, I'm like, yeah, she's got to be like 40. No, no. While exiled, Agrippina still would have had a good number of slaves ready to wait on her hand and foot. She would have had someone to do her hair, dress her, and cook for her. Wait, is this an exile? Yes. Her fucking servants got exiled with her? Or yeah. slaves, I guess? Well, yeah, because she's still an important Roman woman, and she can't just like... Fuck off the slaves! You're like, no! Just no! Slaves don't get a choice, cat. That's no, like, but Jesus... Slaves. Christ! She probably even had slaves that would wave fans at her if she was overheated on her tiny private island. Oh my god, I'd throw her in the water and be like, look, you're cool. <laughs> she apparently was a really good swimmer, which will be a thing later on in the story. Alright, alright. But yeah, so she had this island completely to herself. That sounds great. It's the perfect island vacation for introverts like us. Yeah. But for an overprivileged Roman woman, it meant she was humiliated, completely removed from public society, and unable to communicate with her son. It would have been, quote-unquote, torture for her. I just, every time you tell me one of these stories, and all this shit happens, and then there's people who want to be involved in this bullshit, I'm like, I'll be over here in the corner away from this Weird mean girls thing happening. Like, you can send me to the island. Yes, you know what? I volunteer as tribute. Send me to the island. Exile me. <laughs> Just let me have my scrolls. They probably hold my scrolls on purpose. I'd be tortured. They throw them in the water. And write my and own. laugh <gasps> at you. I'd pull them out, let them dry, and write my own. <laughs> in blood. <laughs> the blood of my enemies. Blood, okay. <laughs> Not mine, right? Okay. Unless you offer me your blood now. No. Great. You cannot have my blood. I wouldn't take it all at once. I mean, like, I just need enough to fill this little ink pot. <laughs> Agrippina's exile would only last a year. Gaius slash Caligula mm -hmm. made himself a lot of enemies. In addition to alienating the Senate, who he often blatantly refused to work with, he also alienated members of the equestrian class and the army. And then there were the insanity claims, which may actually just be exaggerated symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder. 
Gaius's delusions of grandeur led him to believing he was a living God on earth. Oh God, that's when everything goes downhill quickly. At one point, he commissioned a statue of himself to be installed in the Temple of Jerusalem, which was a blatant insult to the Jewish faith that practices monotheism and would have denounced such blatant forms of idolatry. Gaius just did not care, and he was so bad at the political game that he quickly alienated himself from any potential ally he might have been able to make. Absolute tyranny does not look good on anyone. Am I allowed to feel like a little bit bad for him just because he was... Yeah. Like, literally, this was... I feel a little Tiberius's, bad Tiberius's... I'm really happy this paper is in front of me. Tiberius's, like, whole plan. Yeah. Like, I kind of you can bad. You can feel bad for him. He had no, like, official training yeah. to take on... It was just like, here, you've been on an island role. for a long time, but here you go. But something was clearly up with him, yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, who knows? This is also right around the time that you hear of Gaius threatening to name his horse as consul. Mm-hmm. You already mentioned that story. It's basically like... Wasn't there a rumor that he was uh, in, in relations with his horse? I didn't write it down because that just seemed... It's stupid, but I just think it's, it, it makes yeah. the story funnier because it's like, my boyfriend horse <laughs> is better than you guys it, It's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, if he would sleep with his sisters, why not bestiality too? Yeah, there's... That's a big jump. If, if you you can go, there are several podcasts that go over the emperors of Rome. Go look up Caligula. It is insane. And there are a lot of stories like that. When Caligula announced to the Senate that he was abandoning Rome and moving to the city of Alexandria in Egypt, this was the final straw. The emperor could not just up and leave Rome because he felt like it. Yeah. Well, that would I mean, leave too, too big of a power <laughs> vacuum. There's a difference between going off to a little island outside of Rome and going to Egypt. If I would still. <laughs> I think also because they're like, no, we saw this happen with Tiberius. We're not doing this. Yeah, we're not doing this a second time. And so the officers within the Praetorian Guard, led by Cassius Gitscaria, murdered Caligula as he was giving a speech to an acting troop. Caligula was stabbed 30 times, just as Julius Caesar had been 80 years before. I believe it was 80 years. 30 times is very passion um, yes. killing for sure. It, yeah, well, like the Julius Caesar killing was very much a passion killing too. When Caligula's personal guard found him, chaos broke out and his guard went on its own murder spree, targeting the conspirators and oh, any... Wow. Innocent senators, bystanders that happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, they just, it was like days of mayhem. Wow. Caligula's wife, Cassonia, and their one-year-old daughter, Julia Drusilla, were also murdered. I'm not going into the details on that one. Like, even for us, it is especially brutal. Yeah. It was utter pandemonium. At one point, the Senate used the chaos as an excuse to try and reinstate the Republic. Clearly, no one singular man could rule without reverting to absolute tyranny. But alas, their efforts failed because the army preferred the idea of an imperial monarchy and the army had the swords. Yeah, the army has the say. I think it's interesting that... You know, we always talk about, like, are they difficult or are they damsel? And, you know, like, damsel is, like, they just, like, stood by the, their, you know, other half side and yeah. let it go. But if you think about it, like, that's a dangerous place to be. It is. Rome is incredibly dangerous. Well, not just Rome, but, like, all, every empire. Like, yeah. the top, next to the top person is a very dangerous place to be should things go wrong. I would say I used to think that, um, 
medieval Japan, from what we were hearing, like that would be my least favorite place to be just yeah. because if the head person of your family was killed, the whole family was killed. Yeah. I think Rome's worse. Yeah. This is, I do not want to be in Rome. Yeah. But it's just, <laughs> it's so great. Like even, even though they are like, you know, the, the, the typical, like, Oh, I'm just going to like, you know, sit here and be quiet and yeah. you know, whatever. They still are in a very dangerous position, whether they were placed there on purpose or not. <laughs> yeah. It's still it's terrifying. Women always get the short end of the stick. Yes. Yeah. They, they always draw the short straw. There is no long straw for them. And so a new man emerged to take the imperial throne. Well, not so much emerged, but was found. Uh, if you believe the stories, he was literally found hiding behind a palace curtain, probably because he'd seen what happened to the last emperor and knew he was next in line and was scared. Shit He's like, him. no, nope, nope, this is no. Uh-uh. His name <laughs> was Tiberius, Claudius, Caesar, Augustus, Germanicus. Stop it. History remembers him as Claudius. And he is now the fourth emperor of Rome. He's like, damn it! <laughs> so a little bit about Claudius. He is the younger brother of Germanicus, which makes him Agrippina's uncle. Remember oh, so that? he's older. For later. Okay. Yes, he's older. Through his mother's side, he was the grandson of Mark Antony and Octavia Minor. Through his father's side, he was the grandson of Livia Drusilla, who had been Augustus's third wife. Now, I know I mentioned that Claudius was found hiding behind a curtain following Caligula's assassination, but let's not get too ahead of ourselves in assuming he was a complete simpleton, as his illustrious family had assumed of him. So apparently, he's just kind of seen as like a moron by his family, and they also kind of hid him away. He didn't behind a curtain, so yeah, I'm going to go with that. I agree with that for now. <laughs> That's what, like, our history uncles say. We don't know that he for sure. Behind a curtain. I love the imagery. <laughs> In order to secure the imperial throne, here's the thing. Claudius paid off the Praetorian Guard with an outrageous sum of money because securing the loyalty of the Roman army meant you could pay them to kill your rivals. And Claudius did just that. He started off strong. I forget that he's older, though. Yeah, so he basically had them kill off all of his rivals. All right. So hiding behind a curtain, who knows? We it's do know he did this. He didn't kill them. He hired someone yes. to kill them. So I'm still <laughs> behind the curtain strat- or the curtain story. And then he had those two days of violent upheaval completely stricken from the record. Fuck off. <laughs> you can't just do that. Or at least he tried to. Obviously, well, obviously didn't hold. But yeah. <laughs> Either way, this was Claudius. He was no one's chosen successor for anyone and largely flew under the radar because his family was kind of embarrassed by him. But in all the stories, like when he's not really engaged in anything, he just kind of sits there and has drool coming down his mouth. I was about to say, I, I too sit <laughs> randomly and don't do things, but I don't drool, so. He does still have tentative connections to imperial blood. He was rich, and like his predecessors, he was ruthless enough to utilize the swords that his money bought him. Being the younger brother of Germanicus, a.k.a. Rome's favorite fallen prince, probably also helped. As was typical of all new Roman emperors, their first act was always to undo the unpopular acts of their predecessors. And so, Claudius had Agrippina released from exile. Oh, yeah, I forgot she was on an island. Yeah, she's been on an island this whole time. Probably a good thing, especially yeah, she would have was... died. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Upon returning to Rome, Agrippina was reunited with her four-year-old son, Nero. 
She then collaborated with her sister Lavilla to have their dead brother's remains exhumed from the gardens he'd been abandoned to and, des- and decided to have him buried in the mausoleum of Augustus, which was the imperial tomb for all the important people in Rome. Okay. Now, several historians have speculated as to the reasoning behind this act. It would have drawn unnecessary ire from the Senate and the new emperor, not to mention their brother was the same tyrant that had exiled them in the first place. It made no sense on paper. Some people claim that Agrippina and her sister made sure their brother got a proper burial so that his vengeful ghosts would not return to haunt the gardens. Yeah, that sounds right. But the Romans were incredibly superstitious, so yeah. they were very conscious of how their interactions with this world affected the spiritual I world. Want to, like Tomo goes and ask a ghost hangout. No, no. <laughs> would you want the ghost of Gaia slash Caligula? You already caused enough problems. Get out. <laughs> Others have speculated that this act had more to do with their concepts of family duty and patriotic duty that was so intrinsic in Roman culture. Gaius may have been a raging and depraved tyrant, but he was still a son of Rome, and as his sisters, it was their duty to see him properly buried. He did a lot for them before he turned on them. Yeah. Now, Gaius may have been grossly unpopular with the aristocracy of Rome, but he was still very popular with the commons and the army. Agrippina would have been savvy enough to understand the importance of publicly performing her familial duty. She'd seen her mother play this game before, and now it was her turn. So, the third option was that she and her sister were simply putting on an elaborate publicity stunt. I can see it. That's what I tend to lean towards. Yeah. Like, she knows her son still has a chance to sit the throne, and literally every act she does from this point is to make sure Nero gets his butt on that throne. Yeah, spoiler alert. Yes. He does. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Agrippina would have little time to mourn her brother. Almost immediately upon returning from burying his ashes, her sister Lavilla was suddenly exiled. What the fuck? <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> now, this is another story I don't have time to get into, but there's two things we'll take away from this act. Lavilla was accused of committing adultery with Seneca the Younger, a prominent Roman philosopher, statesman, and writer. Seneca survives these accusations, but Lavilla is executed. And she was likely executed due to the machinations of Claudius' third wife, Messalina, now Empress of Rome. And I will talk about her a little later. Yeah, I see her. (laughs) She's the one that was written in the margin. (laughs) Agrippina is now 26 years old. Her son is four years old. Both of her parents have been murdered, and of her six siblings, she is the last one standing. She and her son are the last members of the Julio-Claudian line. The very existence of little Nero is a threat to Claudius and Messalina's newly born son, Britannicus. He wasn't named Britannicus. (laughs) Claudius ends up um, expanding the Roman Empire into Britain, and because of all of his Oh my god! Names his son Britannicus. This sounds like, excuse me, that's a horrible thing. <laughs> this sounds like an infant. He doesn't care. Agrippina, Agrippina, being very aware of her situation, knows that her survival and the survival of her son relies on her ability to keep a low profile. Now, the whole time Agrippina's sister, Lavilla, was being targeted by Messalina's schemes, Agrippina herself set off to supposedly find herself a new husband. The stories all suggest she was aggressive in her pursuit, which was a big faux pas in Roman society that was deeply patriarchal and misogynistic. 
Women simply did not pursue men. That was tacky and gross. They were expected to wait until the men called upon them. Oh, no. <laughs> but this was not Agrippina. She's like, how about fuck off and um, I need the men because you all are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> she was the daughter of Rome's fallen prince Germanicus and the great granddaughter of Augustus. Whatever Agrippina wanted, Agrippina got. Mm-hmm. In one of the stories, she supposedly shamelessly pursued Galba, who is another future emperor of Rome, who just happened to be married at the time. Excuse me, girl, that's a problem. <laughs> Galba was apparently just completely uninterested, and if the misogynistic Roman historians are to be believed, Agrippina was completely undeterred by his disinterest and resorted to every indecent and crude act one could imagine when trying to seduce Galba. I don't. Well, apparently at one point, it got so bad that his mother-in-law stepped in and publicly slapped her in the face. Oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> Who knows? She could have just slapped her because it's Agrippina. I can, right? I can assume that Agrippina's going to say something stupid. In the end. stupid to us, but we'd probably laugh. We would love it. Be with her, yeah. Rome would hate it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the end, Agrippina ends up marrying a man named Gaius Seleucius Crispus Cassianus. You did not just say Crispus. I did. Are you kidding me? Is he a chip? <laughs> he may as well be. Crispus. I'm calling him Crispus. What's his name? Oh, we're going to call him Passianus. That's not helpful Because that's at all. how he's from. Passianus. So his his name is Gaius Seleucius Crispus Passianus. And what? history remembers him as Passianus. I'm calling him Crispus. <laughs> he is now a chip with eyeballs. God damn it. For all like googly people. eyeballs. <laughs> For all intents and purposes, Passianus is mostly unremarkable, and marrying Agrippina probably did more for his reputation than it did for hers. But he was rich, thanks to having wiggled his way into the good graces of a childless, wealthy Roman historian that ended up adopting him and leaving Passianus with all of his money. And he had a lot of money. Now, wiggling his way into the good graces of wealthy and powerful people was kind of a superpower for Passianus. (laughs) <laughs> he was what you would call a social climber, completely uninterested in the application of power, but rather the trappings of power. Interesting. He was friends with the three most recent emperors, including Claudius, but never had any designs for the throne himself. So he was basically like the quirky little sidekick that nobody needed to worry about. Because he just he just wanted to party with the powerful people. He didn't care about being okay. the powerful. He didn't people. care about the power, he just cared about the money, the, and the halo of and power. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which good for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he, smart. Yeah, and he's like, I don't want to die. I just want to party like I'm gonna die. Now, if you think that it's weird, Agrippina chose an unremarkable husband. You'd be right. She wouldn't choose an unremarkable husband. One was chosen for her because, again, she was a woman, and women are commodities. Damn it! And despite her best efforts, she still was not in a position to do anything about it. Having a rich but unremarkable husband eased some of the pressure on Agrippina. She could fly under the imperial radar, at least for a time, so long as she kept her head down and her nose out of politics. That was men's business, after all. Now, we don't really know too much about their marriage. Almost immediately after being wed, Passianus is granted the preconsular governor position in Asia. This is not the Asian continent. This is a region called Asia, which is in Turkey. Coincidentally, (laughs) it's the same area that Artemisia. Ooh! Yeah. yeah. 
So instead of Caria, I kept calling it Korea in the last episode and I hate myself. It's Caria. But now Caria is Asia. I was going to question it, but I didn't. um... It's fine. (laughs) Whatever. I'm just going to hate myself forever. I thought you knew. I thought you knew. (laughs) I I try to know and sometimes it's hard. It's just. Yeah. Hey, you're doing the brave part of this podcast. <laughs> I just have to react to you. You have to do all the research and then pronounce all the words. I just make fun of you when you I practiced that. a couple of these Roman words because I was like, there's too many syllables. <laughs> so I appreciate you doing all the, the heavy lifting, sis. Now, while, while they're in the Asia province, we hear next to nothing about Agrippina. Agrippina and Passienus are in Asia for about a year and then return to Rome. Interestingly enough, when they return to Rome, Passianus magically and mysteriously just sort of dies. What? <laughs> Agrippina's like, what's <laughs> Equally magical and mysterious is the fact that Passianus had updated his will to list Agrippina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agrippina's like, nah, it wasn't me. What the hell The sole heir to his fortune. <laughs> oh, I love her! If you're thinking that's a little suspicious... You'd be thinking along the same lines as some of the later sources <laughs> that wrote about his death. So basically, a lot of like the prevailing rumor of the time was that she poisoned him. Okay. And we don't know if this was assigned to her posthumously because she is strongly suspected of poisoning her third husband. Who was her third husband? We're going to find out. Oh, this is her second husband. <laughs> You're right. Her second. I was yeah. like, wait. <laughs> So there, there's no actual... She's a black widow. Yes. <laughs> okay, sorry. I got so, really excited. I fangirled out. We're back. She's one of the original black widows. Oh, heck yes. Yeah. So there's excited. no actual evidence to suggest that Agrippina poisoned him. We can only note that the timing is suspicious, and everyone else in Rome thought it was a little suspicious, too. A little suspect. <laughs> now, Passianus's death was followed by a lavish public funeral procession that once again put Agrippina on display as a beautiful and terribly sad widow. And all of Rome mourned with her. Agrippina is now twice a widow. She's got eye drops in her pocket, like, all right, yeah, I'm crying. <laughs> she is only 28. God damn it! <laughs> now, before we can continue, it's time to introduce our last major character for part one of our story. Yes. There will be a part two. Spoiler alert! <laughs> and this person is Messalina. As previously mentioned, she was Claudius's third wife and the woman responsible for getting Agrippina's sister, Lavilla, killed. Messalina is another female figure remembered as a dangerous and promiscuous femme fatale. Picture every single quote-unquote bad quality that generally gets associated with femininity. And you basically get Messalina. In addition to being ruthless, often targeting the female members of Claudius's family and anyone she perceived as a threat for her to her young son's line in the succession for the imperial throne, she is often portrayed as being lascivious and unfaithful to her husband. Ooh. Kind of like a strange hybrid between Henry VIII's Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard. Messalina is paradoxically a ruthless and opportunistic vixen at one moment and a naive, slutty nymphomaniac the next. One of the stories suggests that she attempted to poison a Roman consul simply because he refused to sleep with her. Artists in the Renaissance ran with the stories of her so-called promiscuity and sexual liberation and painted her as a sex worker in the brothels. So again, these stories come up where she was basically so slutty she had to sell herself in brothels. 
start with people like Suetonius and Cassius Theo. I wish people could have seen my face when you said that. Well, because again, women can't be sexually liberated. How dare? They obviously have to be whores. She is another fascinating female figure from Roman history that deserves her own episode, and maybe one day we'll return to her. For now, she is pretty much Agrippina's biggest rival. Both of these women have a legacy that links them all the way to the first emperor of Rome, Augustus. Both women have young sons that they would very much like to see sit on the imperial throne of Rome. And as we know, you can never have two overly inflated egos in existence at the same time. Yes, yeah, there can only female be one. Yes. There can only be one alpha female. One. There can only be one any, anything. That's what Highland, Highlander taught us. Well, we're uh, I'm more alpha than you. I'm alpha in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an intellectual alpha. And I'm dumb. Because you probably would be right. <laughs> You're not dumb, but like I would pick you in a Mortal Kombat fight. Fuck yeah. And I would pick me in a situation like Rome. Yeah, because I'd just kill everyone. You like, would, would be, you like some poison? You <laughs> would be Tomo Bozen and I would be Hordo Yeah. 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 But we would work together. We would. Yes. <laughs> More fun random facts about Messalina. She and Claudius were first cousins once removed. Agrippina is technically Messalina's aunt by marriage, and Agrippina's son, Nero, is Messalina's first cousin. Okay, yep, got there. Yes, we're here. <laughs> Excuse me, I don't see these lines on this chart. This is a terrible I, association with chart. I just learned about those. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have room. <laughs> Following the death of Passienus, Agrippina completely disappears from the history text for about five years. Sources suspect that Messalina was part of the inspiration for this. In addition to inheriting Passianus's money, Agrippina also inherited several of his estates that were outside of Rome. So the sources basically suggest that Agrippina was like, you know what? I just saw my sister get killed. I'm going to go to one of these estates over in the Asia province. I'm gonna hang out over here away from you, dumbass. Out of sight, <laughs> out of mind. Yeah, until I want to come. Now, the first whiff of a rivalry we get between the two comes oh, during the secular games. So this was a, these were a huge celebration um, about the origins of Rome. They supposedly occurred like every hundred years, but anytime an emperor was like, hey, I want to celebrate Mosseil, we're going to hold the secular game. And then, yeah, so this is when Agrippina and her 10-year-old son, Nero, both come back to Rome. They attend <laughs> They attend the event and apparently completely upstaged Messalina and her six-year-old son, Britannicus. How fucking dare you upstage me? <laughs> to us, this may sound like a petty rivalry between show moms that you'd see during a pageant or something. But to Messalina, this was a huge deal. Rome celebrated their beloved princess and her adorable son. It was a public endorsement for a potential heir to her husband's throne, and it was the show of public solidarity for a tragic daughter of Rome that had suffered the murder of her family, the deaths of her husband, exile, and the unjust wrath of a vengeful empress. Ooh. At one point, Messalina apparently sent assassins after Nero while he slept, and in this story, a snake appeared from under his pillow to protect the young boy and fend off his would-be assailants. 
Upon finding the shed snakeskin, Agrippina had it encased in a bracelet that Nero wore on his arm as a symbol of his divine protection. <laughs> Sorry. I think that's kind of cool. That's cool, but also, goddammit, it was just a snake happened to be there. And he protected the little baby. Little baby Nero. Yeah, the baby Nero probably wasn't moving. That thing was moving. The snake said, whoa. Messalina. Wow. You guys. I'm really happy you all get to witness our ridiculousness. On record. Forever immortalized. Messalina continued to harass Agrippina after the attempted murder of her son with a number of legal cases in an attempt to convict her on some sort of convoluted bullshit crime that would get Rome's beloved princess exiled again. The Agrippina had grown thick skin by this point and faced each legal case with dignified stoicism that only served to make the public sympathize with her even more. It also helps that she was disgustingly rich, so these legal fees weren't about to drive her to bankruptcy anytime soon. Despite all of her attempts to drag Agrippina down to her level, Messalina failed, and in the end, she ends up being her own undoing. In a move that none of the sources even pretend to try and understand, and well, even I don't have a logical explanation for. <sighs> oh no. Messalina apparently married her boyfriend, Gaius Silius. Yes. She is still married to Emperor Claudius. Oh my god, I was like, wait a minute, just hold on! Yes, this would have been a polygamous marriage. Yes, the Romans would absolutely not approve of a woman doing this. And yes, for whatever reason, this marriage was absurdly done publicly. <laughs> but why? <laughs> So some sources suggest that this was all an attempted coup on Messalina's part to marry Silius, kill Claudius, and pave the way to the imperial throne for her young son, with her supposedly acting as his regent. We can't say for sure. It was just a very bad and stupid plan. Yeah. Yeah. Was it a plan or was it just like a white flag? She's like, oh, my dad, my dad married to a person I love. Like, I, I, I oh. don't know. This could have been a cult. Colpid there, Colt bear. Remember Catherine Howard like fell in love with one of Henry VIII's like attendants. So when Daily? she so when she dies, yeah. Every every queen, like Anne Boleyn was like, you know, I still love the king. No yeah. bad will on the on the king. Yeah. Catherine Howard was like, fuck this guy. I loved Colbert and that was my greatest thing. And then they nicked off her head. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, maybe it was that. Oh. Sure, yeah, she's like, huh? Okay. I don't know. <laughs> to make a long story short, Claudius finds out, is outraged, but is rendered useless in his grief that he had been publicly humiliated, humiliated by his faithless wife. In the end, one of his advisors orders the Praetorian Guard to kill her. And so they do, and Messalina dies in the arms of her mother in the middle of a garden. I just, <laughs> I just picture this, like, very cinematic scene. Right? <laughs> Now the also, whole, like you did this to yourself, girl. What did you think was gonna happen? She did. Now the whole time this is occurring, Agrippina is presumably waiting in one of her many estates to hear word on what is happening in Rome. We know she had already formed an alliance with one of Claudius's three chief advisors, but that's a bit of a spoiler, so I will save it for part two. Ooh. <laughs> Agrippina did not have long to wait. Once Messalina and her conspirators were executed. 
Messalina herself was declared a damnatio memoriae, which meant that all memory of her would be expunged from the official account. Oh, shit. Messalina's name and image were removed from all statues and all official records. It's as if she never existed. Wow. <laughs> that is aggressive. Very aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Claudius is not happy. And Claudius, well, he was the emperor of Rome. And he was in need of a new wife. Oh, no. Conveniently, there was a woman with the right family name and the right amount of royal blood that still happens to be a widow. A woman with an egregious amount of wealth and a woman that happens to be loved by all of her own. Wait, wait, wait. Can I guess? You can guess. Augustus. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) It's going to be our girl. (laughs) And so, three months after Messalina was executed, Claudius had the law changed so that he could legally marry his niece. Oh, that just got weird. Yeah, because this is Germanicus's brother. I forgot. <laughs> Good, I was hoping you would. Shit. She will go on to become Claudius's fourth and final wife. Agrippina's patience, resilience, and cunning had finally won. At the age of 34, she is now the Empress of Rome. I would just like to point out, that is like an extra step on Messalina's grave. Yes. Like, you fucked up, and now you she, really fucked up, because I'm going to go over here. And her dainty, sandaled feet probably stepped over the grave dainty of Messalina. With little Nero in her hand to walk up to Claudius as they had their marriage ceremony. She was probably gloating. Oh, probably. She's like, <laughs> Um. So you never mention the kid's Messalina's kid's name. I'm assuming that's because he does it's not Britannicus. Have. You did mention it. Yes. Because, yeah, okay. I'm that's sorry. why she was, that's why she was, like, looking at Agrippina, like. So nothing happened to the kid, I'm hoping. Not yet. Okay, so the kid, in this instance, nothing happened. Not he yet. He didn't get his mother's baggage. If you want to know what happens to Britannicus. Stop it. You're going to have to join us for part two. <laughs> Look at that. We both led up to it. <laughs> I did so unwittingly. <laughs> this is um this is where we're gonna pause our story. So Yay. if you want to hear about Britannicus, <laughs> I want to hear if you want to learn about Agrippina's rise to power as one of the most notorious women in all of Roman history and the inevitable downfall that follows whenever any man or woman dares to fly too close to the sun. Join us for part two. I would in just two like weeks. I would just like everyone to know that I am suffering with you all because I don't know. <laughs> what's happening or what's going to happen until she reads it off to me slash you. I'm so excited. I literally only know a week before you guys. I'm sure some of you are frustrated because this is a really long part one and it's essentially the intro. I don't think anyone's frustrated because it's awesome. It's it's just everything, all of this leads up to who Agrippina becomes. And I thought the context would be interesting. No, it was good. I liked it. I I was intrigued the whole time. The whole time. Good. I hope you all come back and join us. (laughs) Yes. Why are you friends with me? I don't know. Why are you friends with me? No one's going to understand that part because it came out of nowhere. Yeah, it's fine. So my source Guys, that is a question we ask ourselves constantly. Or each other constantly. So my sources for this episode were... um, So I I found a book. I'm so excited. It's called Agrippina, and it's by Emma Seppin. So that's what I've been reading. And then I've also been using Wikipedia just to, like, link the people. Yeah. So I definitely went to the books off random tangent, but um, not random, but a tangent. I went to the bookstore the other day with um, 
one of our other friends. Not without me. Yeah, I know. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but more books. It's fine. <laughs> I was a. Uh, we were going to leave and I wasn't going to buy anything. Cause when I go to the bookstore for the most part, I go in looking for a very specific book. Like, yeah, if not, I'll be there for fucking days yeah. and you will not like, it'll be bad. So I go in there looking for a specific book. If I don't find it, I'm not buying anything. It saves my bank account a lot of fucking stress. But yeah. so my friend is like, you're not buying anything. She's got four books in her hands. This is why we're friends. She's like, you're not buying anything. You're going to make me go to the cash register by myself. And I was like, um, I was like, okay, well, let me go to the history section. Oh, did you get one? I didn't, but I saw a lot of books. I think it was when I sent you a picture of that one book, Something Daughters, that you love oh, the yes. title of. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I was looking for I was looking for a specific book at that point because Grace. Um, yeah, Grace on that. Yeah. But I couldn't find it because there's literally like a fucking foot, not even like a half a foot section of Irish history, and I'm like, yeah, motherfuckers, and it's always like. I'm, I'm, combined Irish history. I'm very much hoping that when I get around to doing Vodka, I can actually find a book because she's very, yeah. very interesting. Yeah, I have found a book, but it's very expensive online, and I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> I want to find it in like a book bins or like half books or something. Yeah, we'll see. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, good. <laughs> so we're gonna do this a little differently. I've been kind of thinking about setting some parameters for deciding whether. A woman is more difficult or more damsel. So the damsel parameters, and if anyone has any questions they want to contribute to this, feel free. Yeah, let us know not. where to find us on Facebook or difficult thought damsels at gmail.com. <laughs> anyway, so the parameters for a damsel that we'll consider going forward was she kidnapped or was there an attempted kidnapping? Was she married off as a child? Was she ever in danger and in need of rescuing? Was she imprisoned? And thanks to this episode, was she exiled? <laughs> and then the parameters for being difficult. I have, did she usurp any thrones? Was she directly responsible for anyone's death? Did she openly challenge any gender-related conventions of the time period? Did she incur the wrath of the church or the religious institution of the time period? And then number five is just kind of a wild card. And if you can think of anything oh, okay. else, okay. Yeah, let me know. We won't answer these yet for Acropina because we're not done. But yeah. I want to draw like a matrix and then have everyone like as we go, like fill out their own matrix. That would be so fun. Like I would love like to bingo, hear but, you know, anyone's suggestions truly. So yes. if you have any questions for either a woman being difficult or a damsel. I'd love to hear them. I like it. I like it. Right. So random question time. This was a good episode. You promised Yay. me a good episode and, and you I'm gave so, me a good yeah, episode. I'm, I was so excited. Like, the whole time writing it, I was just like, I'm going to have so much fun. Is it bad that anytime you talk about um, like a woman like this, I, I just cannot not picture Eva Green? <laughs> no, she's one of them. Oh, For man. me, I think I kind of picture... In my head, Agrippina is blonde, so I actually picture Natalie Dormer. Fuck yes, that was my next one. Yes. But only because Ava Green is everyone for me. <laughs> any any woman with dark hair from history, Ava Green. Yes. Any woman who's blonde, I picture Natalie. Oh, if you've seen Spartacus, I also kind of picture, um, oh my God, I can't remember her name. She's the blonde Roman woman that's like 
Alithia? Yes, Alithia. I kind of also picture her just because of how conniving and manipulative she was. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. But she was also, like, the more you get into Spartacus, the more you get her backstory. And she's also, she's a very sympathetic character at times, too. Which is how I picture Agrippina. Yeah. Roman women's hair, oh, just the plating. Roman and the women's hair and Norwegian Viking women's hair. Holy yeah. shit. I love it. I love it too. It makes me wish I could braid, but I can't braid my own hair to save my life. I can I braid can other either. people's hair. Yeah. I can do like a. I just say braid my hair, but I haven't washed it in three days. <laughs> my hands can't braid anymore. Like the, the freaking arthritis in my hands is so bad that I like. I touch a strand of hair and I'm like, Duh! <laughs> All right. So random. now we have random question time. This is Kat's question. It was, uh, I was tasked with random, random questions. <laughs> I have good questions. All right. So I kind of just came up with this one on my own because of what I'm writing right now and what I'm reading right now. Um, has to do a lot with magic. Yeah. So if you could tap into a ley line of magic, like exclusively, uh, how would it manifest and how would you use it? Would it be elemental magic, psychic abilities, physical magic, illusion magic, etc.? Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Okay. okay. <laughs> so whenever I'm playing video games, mm-hmm. specifically like fantasy-based role-playing games, my first character I create is always a mage. Mm-hmm. And she always, it's a woman for Um, obvious reasons (laughs) i tend to go the route of elemental magic Mm -hmm. and i i just like the idea of being able to tap into the elements for me it's usually fire or ice magic or some kind of combination yeah um again just being able to tap into the elements and manipulate them to do whatever crazy spell you need to do the other one (laughs) Is a little controversial. It's always controversial in the games I play. Yes. Is blood magic. I love blood magic. <laughs> the way I always play it um, myself is blood magic is just yet another tool. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't use anyone else's blood to fuel my spells. Unless so when you say blood magic, it's using using your blood to... Fuel the spell. Fuel the spell, yeah. Yes. Okay, I just wanted to make that apparent. I would mostly use my own blood to do this, uh-huh. or if somebody happened to consent to letting me use their blood. <laughs> you can have my blood, but only a little bit, like an ink blood. Yeah. So one of my favorite um, game series is Dragon Age, and blood magic is very much seen as an evil form of magic because a lot of the magisters that use it tend to use the blood of slaves to augment their power and their spells. Yeah. That is evil. When I, it, it is. You'll be, al- you, you, you sent me this text last night. You'll be altruistic. Yes. I like it. Altruistic blood magic using mostly my own. I figure if anything, if you're not gathering the elements of the world around you, probably the next most powerful thing is using essentially your own power. Yeah. But again, all things, nothing can come from nowhere. Yeah. So it's going, it's going to, it's going to be draining on you. Yeah. And it should be. It should, it has a cost. All magic has a cost. Yes. So those would be. That's a big theme in my book is there's different 
there's different sects of magic and there's different like races yes that all descend from the same like high tier of like fey but like it's kind of how it is in the literature yeah, they access magic differently because they can only access magic differently yeah that's that's kind of where this question came from yeah, i liked it yeah that's a good question so i like I like your line of blood magic, but like when you say blood magic, what types of spells? Like, is it you can do any spell as long as you have blood, and each spell so, requires a different amount of blood, or is it like you can only cast certain? So the way I think of it is kind of how it is used in Dragon Age, and it's a form of entropy. Mm-hmm. So you're usually using blood. This is where I, this is kind of a gray line. I would yeah. also use the blood of my enemies to basically totally boil their own me. blood. And oh. yeah, so okay. it's it's usually it's can be used as a form of mind control. Okay, and it can be used um, again entropy or really controlling kind of the elements of a person. Yeah, but mostly you can also use it to heal yourself or to heal others. Like so you can use your that own would blood to heal. Like physical magic. Sure. Sure, yeah. <laughs> all right, yeah. all right. Yeah. So my turn. Yeah. So I have two, like you. Um, my first one, if I can only pick one, would be uh, a type of physical magic, which is shape shifting. Okay. Because you can do a lot with shape shifting, and it's not like shape shifting to where you like turn into that animal, but like you still keep your intellect yeah. in the form of whatever. It could be an animal. Yeah, it could be a person. In. Yeah, so I, I think that's really interesting. That's um, in one of my books, like shapeshifters were like killed off because of that, because yeah, they could be really effective spies because they could be anyone. In I was going to say, are you using it to shift into animals or are you able to shift into other people? Both. Okay. Shift into whatever. So I'm... you can infiltrate whatever you need to. Yeah. In Dragon Age, it's, I think they only have shapeshifting in the first one. It's a form of magic you can specialize in. Mm-hmm. She, uh, Morgan is the character. She's my favorite Dragon Age character. Um, she's able to turn into a spider, into a bear. There's a couple of other things. And basically you get special additional abilities based on the animal you shapeshift into. Yeah. But that would be my first one. And then my second one, same as you, elemental magic, just being able to tap into the love, elements. Yeah, and, I love yeah. the idea of creating like a fire tornado or like Yennefer at the end of season. I like the idea. I like the idea, though, that it is still limited, so you you can't just, like, you can't create the element. The element has to be nearby. In an infinitesimal form, like, it could be, like, a little itty-bitty speck of water gives you water magic, and you can make more water out of that, but, like, you still have to have, like, a starting point, like a spark, or the wind has to be nearby. That's why I love the magic in The Witcher. Um, It's understood that all magic, you can't create it out of nothing. You have to pull it from somewhere else. Yeah. And again, there are consequences to that sometimes because sometimes you have to tap into your own personal power, which is draining. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yay! But that's that's a big theme and anyone is as excited as me about the um, Shadow and Bone show coming out on Netflix. Okay. It's, a, it's based like off it. a book series. Awesome. And that's that's one of their things is the Grisha. They, they can't just like... So they have to have like something, some way to light fire like to, like a match to it has fire. To be it. Yeah. yeah that's interesting i like that i'll have yeah. to check it out yeah i'm i'm so excited for that show yeah. i love any show dealing <laughs> with magic even if it is a crappy show i'll probably yeah. still watch it i'm hoping it's not gonna be crappy yeah 
Yeah. It's hit or miss with Netflix. Like yeah. The Witcher was really good, but there's been some other shows that are like, yeah. There's been some other shows that like they hint at magic, but magic, but they never actually use magic. It's like a background. I'm like, don't fucking don't tease me with magic and then yeah. have it be like a background. Like, yeah. it's not okay. Yeah. Jasmine is asleep, guys. That's what I need to be. <laughs> Seriously, she sleeps like the dead. Like I have to poke her every once in a while. Be like, you still good? Like you still breathe? Yep, she's still breathing. She's still breathing. She's still breathing. <laughs> All right, you have been listening to Difficult Damsels. Yeah. As always, please rate and re- review us on whatever podcasting service you use. You can find us at difficult dot damsels at gmail.com one of the day we're one of these days we're gonna actually change that up i'm never that (laughs) (laughs) so she has to remember that we're also on facebook (laughs) at difficult damsels the podcast and then again we are weirdly in the instagram verse somewhere I will post pictures of my supplemental drawings. Oh my god, they're great. I kind of <laughs> the Aries in me wants to redo this. So redo it. No, not no, it's beautiful. We can redo it <laughs> side by side. I just learned about link charts, so I wanna apply my knowledge. Constantly. Anyway, come again in two weeks to listen to part two of Agrippina. Thanks guys for joining us and stay difficult. Stay difficult.